following podcast contains explicit language and movie spoilers. You've been warned. No, seriously, there there's spoilers in, in foul language. Yeah. Welcome to $20 Ticket and welcome to the Marvel Cinematic Universe Phase 3 Recap. This is where we're going to be talking about Phase 3 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe leading up to Avengers Endgame that comes out this month, uh, April 26, 2019. So talking about the movies in Phase 3, we've got Captain America Civil War, Doctor Strange, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Spider-Man Homecoming, Thor Ragnarok, Black Panther, Avengers Infinity War, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Captain Marvel, and of course, Avengers Endgame. Joining me today, uh, we got Jason. What's up, Jason? Not much. How about you, Kerwin? Uh, nothing, man. I'm just <laughs> chilling. Uh, what are you drinking today? Uh, I have a scary shot of JD in front of me and then a Coors Light. Okay, Jermaine Dupri. All right. Uh, <laughs> also joining us today is Mugga. How you doing, Mugga? What's up, buddy? What are you drinking today? I have a Stone Scorpion Bowl IPA. Nice, nice. And an Ultra. Oh, okay. Cool, cool. <laughs> I've already taken my shot of whiskey. <laughs> nah, well, you'll take another one. Okay. Also back with us today is TJ. What's up, TJ? Hey, Kerwin. How's it going? I'm great. What are you drinking today? I have some Winter Jack cider. I don't, I've never tasted it, but it's here. I also have Michelob Ultra and some peach cider. So I'm I'm doing pretty good. Oh, that's good. What did you do this morning? Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> he went to, not bottomless, but six maximum mimosas. How you feeling? Yeah, semi, semi-bottomless. <laughs> All right. Also making his return is Justin. What's up, Justin? What's up, Kerwin? What are you drinking today? Drinking the Disney-sponsored Infinity Water. Oh, <laughs> nice, nice. Apparently, it's got six vitamins and minerals that built the universe. Oh, that's cool. Because uh, there's six uh, six Infinity Stones. Nice. What else? Oh, that's why they have that. Yeah. So, what else are you drinking? Uh, I have a Michelob Ultra and a shot in front of me. Okay, cool, cool. Dominic is also making his return. What's up, Dominic? What is up? What are you drinking today? A Mod Elo and <laughs> this uh, whiskey. <laughs> nice, nice. And rounding out the panel today is Bling. What's up, Bling? What's going on, Kerwin? Uh, what are you drinking today? Today I got a, looks like a vanilla French vodka and ginger ale. And a shot. And a shot that I'm not gonna touch. <laughs> nah, you should. You should uh, definitely touch like, it. It looks like a, as if you didn't pour it. <laughs> All right, so let's get into uh, phase three. Um, there's a little more about phase three, so let's talk about that. Phase three was announced back in October 2014 at a special event at the El Capitan Theater in L.A. At the event, Kevin Feige announced Marvel's entire slate of phase three films at the time, which included Captain America: Civil War, which was supposed to come out May 6, 2016, and did. Doctor Strange, which came out November 4th, 2016. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, which was scheduled to come out May 5th, 2017. Thor Ragnarok, which was supposed to come out July 28th, 2017. Avengers Infinity War Part 1, that was scheduled to come out May 4th, 2018. Captain Marvel, that was supposed to come out July 6th, 2018. Inhumans, that was supposed to come out November 2nd, 2018. And Avengers Infinity War Part 2, that was supposed to come out May 3rd, 2019. Uh, this was also the event where they officially announced Chadwick Boseman as Black Panther for Marvel's Captain America Civil War. Civil War was initially teased as Captain America Serpent Society, but they changed it to Civil War to kind of, you know, get the crowd excited. After this announcement, Marvel reached a deal with Sony that would shift a couple of dates around, pushing Thor Ragnarok and Black Panther out a couple months. And humans got scrapped and eventually got sent to Marvel Television 
and Ant-Man and the Wasp was added to the lineup to appear after Infinity War before Captain Marvel, which got pushed back to 2019. So jumping into our first film in Phase 3, we got Captain America Civil War, which was released May 6, 2016, directed by Joe and Anthony Russo. It stars Chris Evans, Robert Downey Jr., Scarlett Johansson, Sebastian Stan, Anthony Mackie, Don Cheadle, Jeremy Renner, Chadwick Boseman, Paul Bettany, Elizabeth Olsen, Paul Rudd, Emily Van Camp, Tom Holland, Frank Grillo, William Hurt, and Daniel Brühl. 91% of critics liked it, giving it a 7.68 out of 10. The audience, 89% of them liked it, giving it a 4.3 out of 5. The budget was $250 million. It opened to $179 million its opening weekend. Its domestic gross in the United States was $408 million, and its worldwide gross was $1.1 billion. Thoughts on Captain America Civil War? It's great. Phenomenal. So good. Amazing. When I first saw it, I thought it was okay. Like, it was, But it was hyped to be like the best thing. And when I saw it the first time, I was like, whatever. But over time, it's grown on me. And it's probably one of the best Marvel films that has come out. What I really liked about it is that, for me, it was sort of a progression. Uh, we saw in Avengers Age of Ultron a little bit of bickering within the group. We saw a little bit of disagreement. And that was sort of expanded upon in this film. And so I kind of liked the progression of that from phase two into phase three. And I think it set us up nicely for the rest of phase three. Yeah, it felt really organic. Um, since they couldn't get into the sort of comic stuff with the mutant registration and everything without the X-Men, the way they did it felt very natural uh, to the story, everything, and it felt true to the comics. To me, this really felt like another Avengers movie, like the Aven- this was the Avengers sequel. So I'm, I'm curious why this wasn't an Avengers movie, just yeah, because was... it didn't have Thor in it, right, and other stuff. I mean... uh, yeah, or no Hulk either. Right. I also thought, though, like, and this is sort of my feeling on the entire Marvel universe, is, like, I feel like they take people out and put people in at the right times. Like, it makes sense to pull, like, the Hulk yeah. and Thor out of this, because otherwise, obviously, whoever's team they were on would have won. So it makes sense to, like, make it a little bit more organic and, like, mainly for some of the other heroes to display some of their powers. I thought it set us up nicely for the rest of Phase 3. And Justin, do you guys like that this kicks off Phase 3? I love it a lot because one of the main things that I love about Winter Soldier is that it changes the universe. Yeah, it does. Yes. Like yes. It, it yes. creates a huge shift. When you have uh, Winter Soldier, you had S.H.I.E.L.D. that was this fixture for the entirety of Phase 1, gone. And I think when you start Phase 3, you have this entity that is the Avengers... And you to kick off phase three with the Avengers over and broken up, it creates like a radical shift in how you perceive things going forward. You kind of wonder like, well, this whole franchise is built around the idea of the Avengers coming together. Why would you kick off phase three by breaking them up and having this split? So I think I think it was a good thing. I think the best movies in the Marvel Universe change things. Yeah. yeah. And I think you're right. I think it, it really you need a film that drives the plot forward for the entire universe. One interesting thought I just did have is that since this is technically the third Captain America movie, does Captain America feel like the protagonist in this story to you guys? I'm not saying that he is or isn't. It just sort of I just kind of had that thought of like to me a lot of this movie feels anchored by Tony Stark. And probably is a lot of you know, driven by it, but does it feel like Captain America drives a lot of this for you guys? I think the benefit of calling it Captain America Civil War, and I do agree, I think this should have just been called Civil War instead of Captain America Civil War, but I think the benefit of that is that you can focus on one, two or three characters without having to give everybody an arc, without having to give everybody a reason to kind of be there, you can focus on Captain America and Tony's relationship and Steve's relationship with Bucky because it's a Captain America film. You can give a lot more focus to that relationship between those three characters. And I feel like if this was labeled as Avengers Civil War or just Marvel Civil War, 
everybody would have to have like a story or an arc or a reason to be there. And, and I think that's one of the benefits of. And, and I love how they saved the next Avengers movie for Infinity War. You know what I mean? Because yeah, right. then, yeah, that's when you get what you're talking about. Yeah. You know, but. Well, well, this with this film too, you have the Avengers, but it's almost like it's a the second iteration of the Avengers. Because just like in the comics, the Avengers have haven't been a static group. They have members that have left, come in. So this is maybe the first take on. You know, Avengers 2.0. What I liked about this film too is like the events that happen in this film are felt in the rest of the films in Phase Three. You know, we have the fragmentation of the Avengers. Members of the Avengers are going, kind of going their different ways, um, and we're still feeling the effects when we go into Infinity War and even when, when Endgame comes out. You know, you don't realize it at first because Civil War is the first film. Yeah, it really does give you that long wait for Infinity War and Endgame, where you get to see the Avengers back in action because you know they split up. And you have a full three years, like break them up now so that when Infinity War comes around, like that reunion means a lot more. What's your guys' favorite part of this movie, though? I like the end. I think the end, the fight between... The plot twist. Yeah, yeah, I I like that a lot at the end. I think the airport fight scene is the best fight scene. Maybe it's it's arguable, but I think it's one of the best fight scenes in all of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Speaking of that, though, (laughs) speaking of that, because of contract issues in the comics, was there not supposed to be a bunch more characters in that? I heard some rumors of X-Men. I, I don't know. Am I wrong? I don't know. I'm not. That's what I'm asking. No. Nah, so this movie kind of is loosely adapted around the uh, Civil War comic run, like the right. crossover event. I think it was like 20, 2006, right? Yeah, it was, yeah. It was way 2005, back, yeah. 2006, yeah. But um, yeah, so this movie's kind of loosely adapted from the... Uh, 2005, 2006 Civil War Marvel Comics crossover. The X-Men play a really big part in that. And one of the uh, kind of the POV characters in that whole story was Spider-Man, which is kind of why they brought him back for this movie. In that story in the comics, the entire Marvel Universe is involved in that. Everybody's involved in that. Oh, wow. Yeah, but, you know, because of the movie rights and all that other stuff, you couldn't get the X Men. Yeah, you couldn't get Reed Richards. Are you mad that it didn't happen that way? Or do you still like, hey, I like what they put on film? I think in a perfect world where Marvel had the rights to the X Men and Fantastic Four, because they do play a huge role in that, in a perfect world, I think the movie could have been exactly about what the comic was about. But because you're kind of limited to what Marvel has at the moment and who they established, I think the movie did a great job. And actually, um, a lot of the movie was going to focus on kind of, you know, the relationship between Tony and Steve and all that other stuff. And I mean, you see Avengers, you see Avengers Age of Ultron, you know. But here, I feel like this fight scene where they put all these guys, you still were like, hey, they're already upping it. I'm, I'm okay with it, you know. I mean... I don't know. I, I never read the Civil War comics, but I'm just wondering. No, all the fight scenes in this movie were great. Yeah. Sort of unique. Uh, the introduction of the Black Panther, the first time we saw him when he's stalking down the Winter Soldier, that was so serious, but the whole chase scene and the jumping around in the buildings, right. that was great. You know, the airport scene, it was it was a fun fight you know, for a lot, a lot of it. You know, a lot of jokes being flung around, but it was also cool seeing everyone showing off their sort of powers until it ended on that very serious note when Brody got knocked down. Um, you know, a lot of it is is great and then just another nod um like i was saying because a lot of that corona if i'm uh tell me if i'm wrong but it revolved around the mutant registration act in the comics correct uh it's the superhero registration superhero yeah. registration yeah. Act, yeah see so like yeah and again i think this was again they didn't have you know the rights to the x-men and everything but i think this was very fitting and i think it worked very well for the movie uh not to be too sort of convoluted because again it would have had to bring in a lot more characters if it was going to go that direction i also read that 
Black Panther was going to be not introduced in this film. Obviously, this is the first time we sort of see Black Panther, but they were going to wait to introduce him until he had his own film and focus mainly on Spider-Man. But because we didn't have the rights to Spider-Man in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they created a different script that focused more on Black Panther. And then once they got the rights to use Spider-Man in the way that they did, it was already too late to kind of pull back on Black Panther. So they just introduced Spider-Man as sort of a introductory character and then left uh, the Black Panther character as is. So what they wanted to do, they actually did want to bring in Black Panther before his movie because they said this would be the perfect time to do it, if not you know, for his own solo movie. And they kind of wanted him to fill that kind of area that Spider-Man fulfills in the comics where he's kind of caught in between the middle. Am I fighting on the side of the UN as far as upholding this registration act or am I delving into the personal issues of what is clearly right and wrong and should I let the UN dictate that? Um, as far as Spider-Man goes, like they were still doing the deal during the time of production and they were actually casting Tom Holland at the time during the time of production. And um, Marvel actually told the Russo brothers to have a plan B in case that talk with Sony fell through. But I guess the Russo said in an interview that um, they never came up with a plan B. <laughs> they were just like, I sure they hope. Yeah, happen. they're just yeah. like, I sure hope Spider-Man's going to be in this movie because they did not ever have a plan B at all. So, so I like how the Russos, and they did this with Winter Soldier as well. I mean, this film is crowded. It has a lot of characters in it. And I love how they were able to incorporate all these characters, introduce two new characters, Black Panther and Spider-Man, and they did Major it in a way. Characters. Yeah, and they did it in a way which, you know, I think sets up their own solo movie, so we don't have to get the long drama origin for those characters. So I think they did a great job. Those characters had substance, so you knew going to their solo films, like, hey, we don't have to do everything from the start. We already got introduced to these characters. We have a little background on them. We can go into a, a much longer, fleshed-out story. And I think the cool thing too is like um, Black Panther, although he's kind of a. Uh I don't want to say like obscure character because he's definitely not to anybody that reads the comics. He's like a major player. He's part of the Illuminati, etc. But like uh, a lot of people have been waiting for Black Panther to show up in the MCU. And I think this movie definitely did a good job of getting people ready for his movie, kind of yeah. prepping people. Yeah. And I think Spider-Man, who's like a wildly popular A-list type character, people were waiting for Spider-Man to join the MCU at any point in time, whether it was rumors or the facts came out that there was a deal happening. And I think you're right, Bling. Like, this movie does a great job of setting up those characters without kind of diverting too much of the focus onto them. Right. I think I think that's one of the strengths of this movie. And we kind of talked about it before, like this movie's name, Captain America, it affords you the chance to have all these major players we've had in the past as auxiliary characters without having to divert too much of the plot away from who the story's really about, which is Tony, Steve, and Bucky. Mm -hmm. My favorite scenes, I mean, the action's great and all, but I will say this, I was spoiled for the airplane, for the airport fight. Like I knew Giant Man was coming because Funko released like their toy line, and one of the figures was a Giant Man action figure. So that got spoiled for me. Yeah, the toys always spoil everything. Yeah. Um, a couple quick facts though: the Russos actually got hired to do Captain America three three months before Winter Soldier ever even came out. Like that's how impressed Marvel was with that movie. Wow. Okay. Like they they really love what they did. And then um, Adapting Civil War was actually Kevin Feige's idea. And Marcus and Mephili, the writers for, uh, I believe, the original Captain America and Winter Soldier, they had an original idea, but they had to kind of alter their work to kind of accommodate the Civil War storyline to a degree. Um, they wanted Civil War, obviously, to deal with the kind of consequences of what the movies in Phase 1 and Phase 2 did. 
that was all about blowing shit up and having world ending nonsense or whatever but they decided like this movie should be specifically about that you'll hear our john wick review later on but uh the directors of john wick chad sahelski and david leach they were actually the second unit directors for this film so they did a lot of the action oh wow that's interesting they did a lot of the action for this film and i think their uh stunt company or choreography company they did a lot of the choreography for winter soldier as well and then um the wasp was actually supposed to be in this movie but they wanted to save her for the Ant-Man sequel to kind of do her character justice. And then uh, TJ, like you were talking about earlier, uh, the Hulk was supposed to be in this movie in an earlier draft, but they kind of wanted to kind of send Hulk somewhere else, if you will, because they felt like if the Hulk was on one side, like you said, the movie would be over. Yeah. And we brought back General Ross, uh, William Hurt's character from The Incredible Hulk. In the comics, he becomes the Red Hulk. He looks like the Hulk, but he's red. But they thought about incorporating his character into this film, but they figured that just kind of be overloaded in the film in general. I'm glad they didn't do that. No. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, he would have taken the reins as like the main protagonist or antagonist. Yeah. I think one of my favorite things with this film... I love the fact that you have this huge plot that kind of escalates and escalates and escalates. And then when you get to the very end of the movie, it all comes down to the consequences of kind of being involved in this superhero world. I love that Zemo is just, although he's like kind of ex-military secret agent or whatever, I love the fact that he's just a dude that lost his family. You know, when he kills all the super soldiers when he's in Russia, he's just like, do you really think I wanted more of you? I was going to leak this video to the press, but... It's a coincidence that you guys showed up here, so I'm just going to show you the video now. You yeah, know, he, uh, he was a very cerebral villain because he doesn't yeah. really engage with any of the Avengers like physically, like you would think as a typical villain, you know, and going into a shootout. It's all about his mastermind plan to kind of pit each of them against each other, and it works out. And I also like how at the end, he doesn't get killed off. I mean, he, he wants to kill himself, but then, you know, he gets saved by Black Panther. Hey, you're not going to take the easy way out. You're going to, you know, stand up for your crimes. And, you know, so I, I, I love how... This is probably one of the other Marvel films where they don't kill off the main villain. And that's the thing you notice too with like Phase Three, like they really, they really don't just kill people off and try to end it right there. Yeah. Like a lot of the movies leave threads hanging. You're gonna find out about that in Doctor Strange, etc. Where like they kind of leave the story hanging a little bit to let you know that there's more to come. But I do like that. Like I do like that they didn't kill Zemo. Yeah. I do like that fact. Yeah, just adding on to that, I was gonna say I love just the elegant writing of that. That they had basically these what three to four Captain America level threats that they set up as sort of you know what would have been the big bad or the end villains of this movie, and they completely just threw it away. But it worked perfectly to keep Captain America and uh, yeah and Tony Stark against each other as sort of the end fight. It, it was just beautiful writing and it was, it was something unique that only sort of Marvel could have done at this point in setting up and establishing such a big threat and then completely throwing it away and it, again it just works so well yeah I think one of the best scenes in the movie is when uh, they're watching the tape of Bucky right. killing his dad exactly. and his mom the music Robert Downey Jr.'s acting in that scene is just so good and when yeah, he asks Captain America like did he know yeah especially when he just turned to him he's like did you know he's like what do you want him to say like, and then Captain America <laughs> lies to him yeah 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 I don't know. I thought that was a really powerful He's scene. He's my friend. Like, oh, yeah, I'm, I was your friend, too. This is not. No, one of the things I like about this movie, too, is, like, I, f- I feel like the dialogue scenes are the most interesting. I know the action is cool and all, but I love the scene where all the Avengers are uh, kind of in that boardroom against the TV just right. arguing about the Registration Act or the, the Sokovia Accords. Yeah. And I love um, the scene where Cap and Iron Man are arguing when they're at the UN building. 
about having a Captain America sign and they bring up Wanda and all that stuff. I feel like the dialogue in this film is kind of really elevated as well. And, yeah. and I love that too. Oh, one of my big problems with this movie though, um, Thunderbolt Ross, he brings up the fact that there's a lot of destruction in New York. That's well, That was my main gripe too. Yeah. I was like, there's gotta be way more casualties than just like no, no, no. 54 or like. But I, but I ain't talking about like the amount of casualties. What I'm talking about is the fact that the Avengers were sanctioned at that time. So like the Avengers did have oversight during the Battle of New York. So anything they did would have been Shield's responsibility. That's well, especially not, since Shield's plan to resolve the issue was to nuke fucking New York City. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, like no, Great seriously. Point. Yeah, and, and now you want to make us feel guilty. Yeah, yeah like like <laughs> Iron Man saved you guys from killing millions of people in New York, and all of a sudden New York is their fault. Also, they bring up the fact that the helicarriers in DC crashed, right? And that was it, the Potomac or whatever? Right, because yeah. you were infiltrated by fucking Hydra. Yeah, like Nazis took over your fucking secret agency. Like, that's not the Avengers' fault. Right. Like, even with Sokovia, it's like, oh, I'm sorry, should we have done nothing? Should we have let Ultron create a fucking another... Okay, that's <laughs> another that's where I stop. That's, that's okay, where I stop right did, there. They that's, did create Ultron. Yeah. yeah. That, that is, is that fair. is their that fault. Is, yeah, that, well, that's Ultron. more Tony's. I, I put I put that blame on Tony. Yeah, Avengers, that is again, definitely. But again, that's good writing because that's maybe why Tony feels so. They guilty. created Ultra. Yeah, and they yeah, they address that when Tony got confronted by the mother. Right? Can I just say, like, I appreciate the fact that like a lot of this phase focuses on the consequences of what happens, especially like the Battle of New York, and even in like Spider Man Homecoming, we see a little bit of that consequence coming through and I just appreciate that because I think a lot of like superhero films it's like oh we destroyed this entire city and nothing matters and we'll destroy another city next time but the fact of the matter is like the amount of damage that we do in these movies would like bankrupt an entire nation right like it's insane but the fact that we're at least like talking about it and and there's an accountability aspect to it yeah yeah, yeah. like the government is getting involved in the fact that like hey you can't just go around like destroying buildings yeah I like films like that. I think it, it kind of makes it more realistic to grounds it, yeah. Versus yeah. like, yeah, yeah, it grounds yeah. it. Versus like, oh, we can do whatever we want. Yeah, you save the, you save the day, but you also cause millions of dollars of not like billions Superman. of dollars. Yeah, exactly. One, yeah. one, one franchise <laughs> that did not do a good job is Transformers. Like okay. I mean, they, they mess up LA, you know, and I'm just like, we can talk about this. That was gonna be my that was gonna be my point is because like they just act like nothing happened and they just keep doing this. The only time uh the first one with Mark Wahlberg that's that when was the, the, the fourth first, one, yeah. The they first talk about time that they Chicago. talk about like the yeah. amount of damage, but they just done. they, they address it through a billboard. Yeah, yeah it's like, all it's they insane. gave. Like, it's Optimus like, Prime rolls of like five this, cars. Like you just killed like ten people. Like yeah, like this <laughs> this honestly would be like a thing that especially the American government would want to get involved in. So. Yeah, and the other thing too is like, I think we're at a time kind of, you know, we're in a post 9-11 environment, but I think one of the things that uh, this movie and uh, Batman v Superman wanted to address was kind of the consequences of these big ass extravagant battles. Like you saw Man of Steel, an entire city got destroyed pretty much by the Kryptonians. And then you had Age of Ultron where an entire country got destroyed. At some point you have to ask yourself with all the kind of bullshit violence happening at some point you got to address the stuff and that was like a real point of contention between marvel and dc at the time at yeah. least between the fan base the studios not necessarily but like there's a lot of beef because captain america civil war was going to pit iron man against captain america just like batman v superman was going to pit batman versus superman they're going to have similar themes in their movies and they were actually scheduled to come out the same day 
Oh, like wow. the yeah. same day back so, like, in 2016. Yeah, yeah, well, DC knew they had to back down. Yeah, DC backed down. Um, if you want any info on that, go ahead and listen to our Aquaman podcast where we talk about that in detail. But I feel like we're at a time in cinema where we kind of had to address a lot of the bullshit that was well, happening. If you're going to have a universe, yeah, I mean, you got to address those now. You know, I mean, that's what I look at it. Like. Yeah, it's not no trilogy where you can just right. like forget about it. Like these yeah. things got to be talked about. Yeah. So overall, we all love Civil War, right? Yeah. Yes. Amazing. Yeah. Consensus. Right. Minus the X Men not being on the mutant registration. I, I, well, so they didn't. Okay, they didn't have any power of that. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> that's, only, that's the only bummer about the movie. All right. But the world isn't perfect. Is it? <laughs> Let's get into our next movie. We got Doctor Strange, released November fourth, twenty sixteen, directed by Scott Derrickson. It stars Benedict Cumberbatch, Chiwetel Ejiofor, Rachel McAdams, Benedict Wan, Michael Stolberg. Benjamin Bratt, Scott Atkins, Mad Mickelson, and Tilda Swinton. 89% of critics liked it on Rotten Tomatoes, giving it an average score of 7.3 out of 10. 86% of the audience liked it, giving it a 4.1 out of 5. The budget was $165 million. It opened to $85 million opening weekend. Its domestic gross in the U.S. was $232 million, and its worldwide gross was $676 million. Thoughts on Doctor Strange? Rachel McAdams is in this. Yes, yeah. yes. I should have watched it now. Why didn't anyone give me a chance to watch this? Okay, yeah. Hold on, okay, hold also, on, also, hold also, the fuck, hold also, on, hold on. I just want to put this out there. I let Mugga borrow this movie for an entire year. Should have watched it. I have not watched it, man. And he never watched the movie. My bad. For an entire year, he had the physical copy. I feel like this is something that the Jensen's share because Sean, Mug's brother, went to go watch this movie in theaters and actually fell asleep in the movie, so I don't think he's seen it either. Yeah. But. yeah. And he actually paid money. <laughs> okay. paid but money. Rachel Adams is in this movie. I read that she was originally offered the role of uh, Pepper Potts. Oh. Whoa. And she turned it down. And then, of course, after the success of all of the Marvel movies. She wanted it. She she wanted in, so uh, that's how she was cast in this film. Pretty strange how that worked out. <laughs> that's one for Dominic. One okay, for Dominic. Okay. You're on the board. Okay. You're the only one of a pun okay. yet. Yeah. How do you guys feel about this? Because this is like the first movie I think we actually see magic. Yes. Yeah, so, so this film introduces like the mystic arts. And yeah. We, we don't call it magic, Jason. Yeah. So, so this film. Jesus I mean, we, Christ. <laughs> we get into a world that's kind of in. We get some elements of it in the Thor movies, but this is the first film where we get introduced to like the mystic arts. We get introduced to the different the multiverse. So magic. we get introduced to you know the mirror universe, the dark dimension, even magic. See, even see the quantum realm. <laughs> it's an underrated film because, like I said, it does explore things that's not the physical world, but like kind of like the extra kind of terrestrial, the world. magic world. Yeah. <laughs> but see, I feel like that's a misstep because a lot of that could have been introduced with the Mandarin if they did it a little more properly. Yeah, yeah, I agree. No, yes. but I, I think they should have waited for the Mandarin until this movie came out. You're right. Again, in perfect world, maybe this movie and then Iron Man three. Um, one thing I want to address is the recast of some of the characters in this film that are different from the source material. So you have. Carl Morrow, played by Chiwetel Ejiofor, he's a black character in the film, but in the in the source material, I believe he's like of Asian descent. I want to say, and same thing with the ancient one. The ancient one is actually a male, and typical Asian character, and she was cast as a female, a white female actually. And some people took offense with that because they say, oh, they're whitewashing the characters, they're changing the characters. And I actually did appreciate it because they both did a great job for the film and I think they gave it a different take. I think the director even addressed it like, if they did the stereotypical Asian roles, it would come off as very Fu Manchu kind of thing. So while some people did take offense with it, I still think that that the recast uh, of those characters uh, still fit the film and they did well. 
for anybody that wants kind of more info on that, definitely go back to our uh, Fantastic Beast: The Crimes of Grindelwald episode, where TJ, Erica, and I kind of talk about the the casting of this movie as well as uh, Fantastic Beasts uh, Part Two. But I, I totally agree with you. I think um, one of the things they kind of backed themselves into a corner with was like, do we cast an Asian character in another stereotypical Asian role or do we kind of move away from that? And I think they were kind of put in a lose-lose situation. Yeah. Like I said before, like I'm not going to speak for the Asian community. I'm not a member of the Asian community. But I think you do run the risk of pigeonholing Asian actors in those kinds of roles where it's just like you're the Asian teacher teaching the white dude how to save the world. Yeah. You don't want to perpetuate that. And I think they kind of tried to avoid that by casting Tilda Swinton, who I think did a great job. Yeah. I think, I think she did a great job, but I think at least they were conscious of it, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, then again, like the multi-ethnic casting also made it feel more all different people from all different cult- cultures, like this sort of teaching touched a lot of different lives. Yeah, exactly. Everyone's searching for like their themselves, so to speak, just how Doctor Strange was when he lost everything, essentially. Right, like, like Benjamin Bratt's character. One of the things I do like, though, I, I always felt like with Thor and Thor the Dark World, they didn't do enough to introduce us to the fantastic elements of the MCU. Mm-hmm. And I think this movie finally did it. Do I think this movie did it as well as it could have? No. I feel like a lot of this movie was CGI martial arts and they didn't really delve into kind of like the spells and the mysticism and the kind of occult that Doctor Strange is known for. Doctor Strange in the Marvel Comics universe is very much known for bringing the mystical and magical elements and the more fantastical elements to the Marvel Comics universe. And I was kind of hoping that that movie would bring way more of that to the MCU, but I felt like I was... I honestly felt like I was watching a martial arts movie most of the time. Yeah. I I definitely didn't feel like there was a lot of magic involved. Yeah, they did the hand symbols and they had the the pentagrams or whatever the hell they were using. Yeah. Yeah. But I never felt like they were actually using magic. They had a lot of like really great visual effects for like the setting in which they were performing martial arts. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, It was like martial arts in all these different settings, but it wasn't a lot of magic. You know what I mean? They definitely had the uh, kind of warping of the environments. Mm -hmm. You got the mirror dimension, the dark dimension, et cetera. But like other than that, it was just kind of like hand-to-hand combat. Right, yeah. And I was kind of left disappointed by that. I thought the story was great. I mean, let's be real. It's magic Iron Man. Just kind of how we talked about Ant-Man. It was, was tiny weak, Iron Man. Let's, let's be honest. The villain was terrible. Yeah, the <laughs> villain was kind of whack. It was like another Ronin situation where yeah. you have this bad guy and then it turns out he answers to another bad guy that we don't meet until the the third act or whatever. Yeah. I thought the villain was kind of weak. I love Mads Mikkelsen. I wish he was left alive. Hopefully he comes <laughs> back. But I love the fact that they left Baron Mordor around to kind of It sets succeed. up a future villain, yes. Yeah, and I love the fact that they do that. The same thing they did with Civil War. They left Zemo alive, and I love that uh, Mordo wasn't just made evil in this movie. I feel like if Doctor Strange was made in phase one, he'd be evil in the same well, movie well, and killed. Well, when you take into account the, the source material, Mordo is already starts off inherently evil in, in the comics. So they kind of created an arc where he started off as good, and then he becomes, he basically kind of splits away from you know the, the, the teachings of the Ancient One and everything like that. And I think they did this because they had to kind of create a connection between Doctor Strange and him so that in future films, he has a purpose. He has a reason why he's... He's kind of turned away from the good side, and now he's going to be, like I said, a future villain, and hopefully in a future Doctor Strange film. And I love that they made him like a good guy, and he's essentially Strange's teacher, because I love that the Ancient One points out like early on, like Doctor Strange has a more imaginative approach, 
and Mordo has a more rigid approach to how magic should be used. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the movie, when he kind of takes away Benjamin Bratt's powers, don't know how, they'll probably explain that in the next one. But like he says, like I finally figured out the problem with the world. There's too many sorcerers. So his whole thing is to kind of bring balance to the world or whatever. But I like that they had that arc throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. I do like that they had that, to your point, Bling. So that way, when the second Doctor Strange movie comes out, if Baron Mordo is one of the bad guys in that movie, they kind of addressed that entire conflict between the two characters. Yeah, it made it feel really organic, really uh, natural, just especially with his revelation and his whole world shattered about the Ancient One uh, using, was it yeah. the, you the Dark, the dark, the dark Magic? Right, yeah. it, like it all just fits so well, just hit all the marks. Like it felt really good. <laughs> One of the things too is like the score of this movie sounds a lot like the Star Trek 2009 score. Oh, yeah, uh, it, it kind of does. That. I could see that. Yeah, same composer, Michael Giacchino. Okay. Like same, that same guy. Explain it why. Okay. Yeah, it, at some points it does sound the same, but we won't get into that. If we ever review this movie down the line, we'll get into it. But um, regarding behind the scenes stuff, Doctor Strange was actually in development for a lot of years. It was actually with Regency, Dimension Films, Miramax, and Columbia Pictures. And at one point, Wes Craven and David Goyer were involved with the movie. Oh, wow. Scott Derrickson actually put a lot of his own money into the movie pitch and his movie pitch was specifically the hospital fight scene where Doctor Strange is on the astral plane with the, um, not defibrillator, is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah, defibrillator, yeah. Yeah, so he's with the defibrillator so that was part of his pitch. Apparently Marvel told him at the time that Doctor Strange was the most sought after movie by directors. Really? Yeah, compared to all their other franchises, they had more directors interested in Doctor Strange than any other franchise, than any any other character in their cinematic universe. Why? I think it just has to do with the different nature of the film, honestly. Also that it has never been done, maybe? I mean, I knew of Doctor Strange, but I feel like he's more of an obscure character, kind of like we talked about Guardians. Like, he's not like, we say, you know, X-Men or Spider-Man or something like that. Like, we all kind of recognize that. I would imagine most people didn't recognize Doctor. That's weird that it was so sought after. I don't understand. But why. I think that might be maybe why, because they could create something new and not have to like reference previous material. You know what I mean? And that's kind of what we talked about in our Aquaman review. Remember James Wan? He had the choice between Flash and Aquaman, and he chose Aquaman because nobody had done anything with him before, so there wasn't any level of expectation, kind of, maybe. He was underdog, yeah, I remember him saying that, yeah. Speaking of making the movie, all parties involved, the director, Marvel Studios, etc., they wanted Benedict Cumberbatch for the lead role, but a lot of other people considered for the role were Tom Hardy, Jared Leto, Jake Gyllenhaal, Colin Farrell, Oscar Isaac, Ewan McGregor, Matthew McConaughey, Keanu Reeves, and Joaquin Phoenix. And Joaquin Phoenix was actually in final negotiations to play the character, but he dropped out because he felt like being part of a large cinematic universe wouldn't be very fulfilling and that he felt like it wouldn't allow him to play the character as he saw fit. So Joaquin Phoenix, who's, you know, the Joker now, almost played Doctor Strange. Isn't it interesting that he would think that playing a character in the MCU is not fulfilling, but playing a character in the DC comics is? I think the Joker is more of a one-off film. Yeah. Personally, maybe there the could Joker's be a sequel. Done a lot though. Everything sounds yeah. like it's going to be a one-off. But film I think he's playing it. his own version of the Joker. For sure, it's yeah. different. Yeah. But I, I do see where you're coming from. It's kind of like if he plays the Joker, he could play one film and he's done. I mean, but to I be feel honest, like Doctor Strange could have been different too. Yeah, that's true. You know, but you are part of this masterful plan of this whole universe too. Uh, yeah, I get that. Yeah, yeah. and you're gonna have to sign like yeah. you're gonna have so to sign like a six-picture deal. Strange, yeah. You're gonna yeah. commit to several films from the get-go. Right. I have not seen Doctor Strange. I've only seen Infinity War. I know. Yeah. What are you? Why are you here? 
No, it's only, Kerwin, it's only been a year. Jeez. Hey. No, no, no. no. It's, been, it's been two years since oh. it came out. Two and a half years well, almost. Give us some time, Jesus. Can I finish what I was about to say? I liked the casting that they did with this guy. I, I think he's Doctor Strange. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I really like Doctor him, you know? Like, I don't, I can't see Joaquin Phoenix doing this, you know? No. And that's, that's what we talked about in phase two. Like, I think the casting of all of these films is just so on point. I don't think that they've made any missteps as far as casting is concerned. They do such a great job in picking out the exact person who can play that character. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. I mean, they picked them out so well that you... Oh, no, wait, you didn't go back and watch Doctor Strange yet, so... Yeah, I guess it was... Hey, okay, now... <laughs> can, I, can I put my... I, Go ahead, go ahead. Doctor Strange is one of the reasons why, though, like, I haven't watched a lot of the Marvel movies, and now that I'm getting into it, no, I'll save it for Infinity War. I'll save it for Infinity War because there's a reason why I am at the position that I'm in, and I'll get into it when we get to Infinity War. Okay, That's yeah. all I'm going to do. You we'll know? save it for then, for and sure. fuck Jason. It's a long way. Piece of shit. You can go Doctor Strange yourself, you bitch. I'm sure it'll be magical. <laughs> oh, we don't do magic here. He's on the board. On the board. Shout out Scott Atkins for appearing in this movie. It's one of the dopest fighters, fight choreographers. Best fight scenes in general in cinema. That's the dude from the hospital scene, right? Correct. Okay, cool. What else he's been in? He's been in, it was coming in It Mount 4. He's been on Triple Threat. That just released on uh, VOD, Undisputed 4. There's a lot of stuff. Okay. Ninja 1 and 2. He was in X-Men Origins as well. X-Men Origins as a... Weapon X. Yeah, Weapon X, yeah. Okay, cool. We might check those out. So coming up next, we got Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, released May 5th, 2017, and directed by James Gunn. It stars Chris Pratt, Zoe Saldana, Dave Bautista, Vin Diesel, Bradley Cooper, Michael Rooker, Karen Gillan, Palm Clementif, Elizabeth Debicki, Chris Sullivan, Sean Gunn, Sylvester Stallone, and Kurt Russell. 83% of critics liked it on Rotten Tomatoes, giving it an average score of 7.23 out of 10. 87% of the audience liked it. Give it a 4.2 out of 5. The budget was $200 million. It's opening weekend and it made $146 million. It's domestic gross in the U.S. It made $389 million. And it's worldwide gross was $862 million. Thoughts on Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2? I do like it. But I have to put on the record that I have not seen Guardians 1. The reason why I've seen Guardians 2 is because it's on Netflix. Dominic, don't look at me like you're doing right now. because, you're <laughs> um, And I'll get into why I now just watched this, but I, I do appreciate it. Um, that opening scene I thought was hysterical. That's like the first part of that I get, mm-hmm. other than Infinity War of Guardians of the Galaxy. But uh, I'm just going to throw it out there. I have watched this movie. I do appreciate it. I have not seen number one, though, which I think is... I don't even know the word for that. You know, but Sad. yeah. You haven't seen it. So why would there be a word? No, I'm... Fuck <laughs> you. Okay. Next, next panelist. I really enjoyed this movie. Uh, you guys can tell me, like, as comic fans, is the ego thing like part of the story, or was that made up specifically for the movie? No, e- ego is in the what we call the comics. The comics, yeah. The only thing I really knew about ego was that he was a planet. He was a he was a villain. It was a planet. See, that was it. But I don't know if they've changed the whole backstory, being some kind of familial heritage sh- to like sure. Peter Quill. I don't know if that yeah. was just made for the movies, but I know he was the planet and that was it. In the comics, uh, Star-Lord's dad, Peter Quill's dad, is uh, Jason, the uh, king of Spartax. So Jason of Spartax, he's the leader of the Spartoi or Spartoi Empire. He's like a mad emperor slash murderer type person, and he's like a bad guy. 
in the comics. But specifically for the movies, James Gunn wanted it to be ego for whatever reason. I don't know why. I think it kind of worked out myself. So he made a change. Yeah, he made a change. He always he said from day one he always knew he wanted to make ego the living planet Peter's father. I think it was really well done. I think it kind of <laughs> sorry. Jesus Christ! But why are we gonna start over? I mean, we're okay, we're trying to talk. No, it was a wasp. See, Ant Man and the Wasp, Phase Three. I mean, you see what we're doing here. Can I put myself on the board? Yeah, Come on, I mean, let me put myself the on, the on the board. Is that's it gonna get edited out yeah, or what? No, that's on You're on the board. Um, okay, I'm gonna start over. Take so for me, I, are you ready? Okay. No, I just want to be on the board. You're on the board. Okay. You're on the board. You're on the board. Uh, so for me, I thought that was really well done. I thought even Ego says during his conversation with Peter. You know, you were the only human that could hold an infinity stone. Mm-hmm. For me, it like kind of lends credit to like the reason why that could happen. Mm-hmm. In phase two, I talk about like how kind of ridiculous it is that this super powerful stone could be held because like our powers combined. Remember that conversation? <laughs> so I just think it was like a nice way to like introduce uh, the fact that maybe Peter is not all human. Maybe he is something different. So I actually got a chance to watch this movie again this past week. So and I think James Gunn did this by design. A lot of things that were, were touched on, maybe even briefly in the first one, comes back full circle in this film. It explains that, yes, why Peter Cole was able to hold an Infinity Stone. It also explained why, you know, Yondu didn't deliver right. Peter Quill to his father. And it also explains, you know... Why Gamora and, and Nebula, Nebula are fighting. Are fighting. Yeah. And we also get Groot back. If you saw the first Guardians, yeah. you know Groot. I did not. Okay. <laughs> well, Groot, Groot gets blown to spinnerines, and we see him as like a little twig. We assume he's going to grow. And sure so that's enough, why he's small. That's why in this yeah. film, yeah, he's an adult in the first one, and then he dies, and then he, we see him as well, a twig. Well, he didn't die. Which again, yeah. well, again, I think that's like master first. <laughs> no, actually, all right. Story. Sorry, sorry, TJ. But Groot does die. He does die. Yeah, yes. so James Gunn confirmed that the Groot you see in Guardians 1 did die. And that the baby Groot you see is... Is a new Groot. Is a new Groot, Groot. completely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. And then you yeah. see a teenage Groot in Infinity War. Like, I just think, like, even that, is, like, takes thought and, like, it, it takes a lot of planning to make something like that happen in that sequence, which I appreciate. Well, I mean, I'm impressed in Guardians 2 how small he is in the opening scene, which I loved. I'm looking at Jason, this is pretty comical. This no, is that awesome. opening string was strong. Right, it was, not right? Because like, that's my first, other than Infinity War, right? That's my first, like, seeing Guard. And Jason, to his credit, he's like, no, number one's even better, you know? But yeah. but I'm watching this, I'm like, it's great. But, like, I think that he gets bigger throughout the movie. Correct. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, he really does. You're like, okay, he's a little bit bigger, you know? And then you get to Infinity War, and he is the size that he is. He's like know? a teenager. You know, yeah, not, I, not I, I love that, like, you know? You know mugs, that's I really a tension. Into detail. I really would be interested to hear your opinion, Mugs, because I thought the first one was better because it was fresh. You right. know what I mean? And the first yeah. time seeing all of this, and it was hilarious. Both movies are hilarious. Both movies have a lot of jokes, and I love the characters. But I really would be interested to hear your opinion as someone uniquely who's seen the second one first to watch the first one and see honestly what you again. Think I'm, I'm you 50 like shades of fucked up when it comes to Marvel <laughs> universe, but I'm on my path now. Going, yeah. I was just gonna say, like, I think not only is Groot being like reborn and tiny, like, cute and adorable, and of course we we love to watch a dancing Groot, yeah. but it all, it's also like integral in into the story, right? It 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 makes sense in the plot of the film, which again I think it just takes a lot of like really great writing and like yeah I I, I appreciate stuff like that because yeah. I think it it's well, and not planning easy too, right? Yeah, yeah. planning yeah. like it's not easy to like plan a film in general, but then to plan. Films, a universe. It, yes, yes. It, yeah. it's just so incredible to me. 
I really like the first Guardians a lot, uh, a little bit more than I like the second one. Mm-hmm. I think the main reason why, and again, I, I kind of, you know, Mug had just got Netflix, so I was telling him, hey, like, we well, got to watch Guardians 2 at least because you've never seen these movies. Yeah. And the one thing that I didn't care much for is that I feel like they spend too much time with Ego. Yeah. I don't know. The end scene felt like it dragged on. I, like, I never got that feeling watching the first Guardians, personally. Maybe it's because I didn't know the characters, so everything's so new to me. I'm watching it, I'm like, okay, we got, like, Rocket, we got Groot, we're watching all this stuff, and it's really new, and it's exciting, and they're in jail, and they break out, all this kind of stuff. But in the second one, we, we have the same level of comedy, which I like. Mm-hmm. Like, when we look at Ant-Man versus Ant-Man and the Wasp, like, I don't feel like it kind of lessens these, like, very consistent. But... What do you guys think at the end? Well, with it, ego, it, it is, is it too it is, much it is, time. It's fragmented too because you have to look at it. There's two arcs going on. You have you have a uh, Gamora, Drax, and Quill on ego, and then you have Yondu, Groot, and Ra- uh, Rocket on dealing the rat, with their. He said. Um, well, de- dealing with their uh, the mutiny and you know being on the Yondu ship. So I mean, they're not ever all together until the very end, really. So I think that's why you can explain. Yeah, and, and to your point, I think the the ego scene that feels like it's. It's really long. <laughs> I, I disagree. I think the beginning sequence is very long. I was actually like surprised when Ego was like the villain. I had no idea that that was coming. And for me, it felt on pace for like how a film should. Like, do we need to see Peter Quill and Ego like play catch with like, I mean, do we need to no, see? No, we, we don't need to, but that's no. not the end scene. I know it's not, but I'm just like saying like, we scene. see we see a lot of Ego, I don't know. And then like the end, it just, especially the end, it just, dra- I feel like it dragged out I a lot. Feel well, like, I feel like that had to establish him so too for like the Peter's father. sense of betrayal. Like, yeah, to establish yeah. that fatherly figure so you would feel more Like playing Peter's catch with the father despair, is like something that people Peter's do. sense of, oh my God, you killed my mother. Do you guys like the catch scene? I don't. Here's the I thing. really don't. I, the I thing is, it is very cheesy. I, I, I mean, it cheesy. really. I, I think it belongs on the room. It's <laughs> just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm, I'm not going that far. Oh. Just kidding. Well, because the thing that it does is that it creates the illusion that like this is father and that's something that like in every like stereotypical movie that's something that fathers and sons do. They play catch with each other. Well, he, I he, think he that's alludes what it to it does. as well. He's like, hey, I was I had to watch all the other kids playing catch with their fathers. And I never got to do that. I never oh, that. I didn't catch that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so he for does me, say I think that. It, it just sets it him up as like a father figure. And so not it's just necessary. Some, I'm just... Yeah. Well, I feel like it's a very cheesy thing, but a very sure. cheesy thing that Guardians gets away with. Like, because yeah. they for sure... Oh, you're right on that. And, you're you right. know, they do have that sort of sensibility. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely feel like Guardians 2 is a lot slower paced as yeah. far as Guardians 1. Yeah. yeah, I will say this. I fell asleep watching Guardians 2 oh, in theaters. No. Oh, no. Okay, thank yeah. you. Okay. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, no, no, I, yeah, felt, yeah. I felt like certain parts of the movie lasted way longer than they should have been. I didn't like how Ego kind of just showed up when they're escaping the uh, gold people. I don't know their names. Sovereign. Did you the like Sovereign. him, at, did you yeah, like him at the beginning of the movie? The Guardians? Yeah. I felt like if they're going to be chased by the Sovereign this whole movie, their main conflict might want to involve them being chased by the Sovereign and Ego kind of having a more like a more substantial entrance as opposed to I thought Woo, I'm right in next next to you. I'm your dad by the way. Yeah. Woo. Like I, I just kind of felt like he just happened upon them. I feel like I would have preferred a much more uh, grandiose entrance by Ego to kind of cement him as a major character in the Guardians franchise and as well as Ego's father. For him to be like riding by while they're you know, in he, their ship he or whatever. Like 50 ships. Yeah, he just showed up and destroyed fifty ships and said, "Follow me." And then when they <laughs> when they land on the other planet, it's like, "I'm your father, Peter." And it's just like, have a more interesting introduction than that. And I kind of feel like this whole movie is about Peter and his dad 
I kind of feel like the whole rocket thing kind of detracts from that. I feel like this movie definitely spends way too much time on Rocket. Focus on two characters. Focus on Nebula and Gamora. Right. And then focus on Peter and his dad. Yeah. I kind of feel like Rocket had his whole thing in resolved in number one. because he, which, which I have not seen, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> he cares for Groot and he's super bummed out when Groot... Why does he care for Groot so much? Is that That, that was his bounty hunter buddy okay, in part I, I one. Watch it, I gotta yeah. watch it. Yeah. I, don't, I don't mind that Rocket had, the, had his arc, but again, I felt like it's the same thing as from the first one where he cares for Groot and then he feels yeah, all this sort of shame or remorse for being this chess subject that he was. Again, it was just sort of the same version of the... Like, from the first movie, his same remorses, sort of. Yeah, like Rocket didn't grow at all from in the first movie I feel like Rocket like Drax did all their growing in the first movie so I feel like we don't need to see any more of because even Drax he says it like hey you know what I've come to terms with what my life is or whatever Drax is resolved for the most part Rocket I feel I, like I love his character number two I, oh he's Drax. hilarious yeah, yeah, I, yeah I love him yeah. he's hilarious Batista but I feel like, right is that yeah Dave Batista but I feel like Rocket it's just like, why are we focusing so much on him? His arc is over with. He cared for Groot. Groot died. It sucked. He realized that he's not alone in the world, etc. Yeah. Like, let this movie be about Peter, who has to deal with his dad, and Gamora, who has to deal with her sister. And it makes more sense because Gamora and Peter have an attraction to each other. So focus let, on them. So let them both deal with their separate familiar relationships. And I feel like Rocket is just has his arc because he's an asshole and he's the most unlikable character in this movie because he gets them fucked over for no reason. Yeah, he's right, the he's one... also a raccoon, which yeah, is cute. Wait. <laughs> raccoon? What the hell's a raccoon? How dare you? But Trash here's man. the thing, though. <laughs> I, I feel like um, Rocket's journey is like mirrored by Yondu's journey, right? So I, I don't... I feel like it might be like Nebula and Gamora, Peter and Ego, Rocket and Yondu. Like, I feel like they're similar... And I feel like I cared about Yondu's death because of the Rocket arc. You know no, what I mean? No, that's an interesting point. I think I think you could still have Yondu's arc without Rocket being a complete dick the whole movie. Yeah, I think, thing, I think you could still do that. Yeah. One thing I was gonna say is, do you think that Rocket is shown so much, but like as a tie to Groot because Rocket and Groot are a package, and Groot is their big like Groot's their big money for this I also movie. Think Groot's their big money character. Like from a just a business perspective, like we know that Marvel will change plans based on like how things do initially. Rocket obviously was very popular in the first film. I would assume they beefed up his role in the second phase just because he was popular. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, yeah. this just to sell toys. You damn yeah. right, they're gonna yeah. do that. Right. Yes. Uh, Disney has a ride based on them, and he's like right. the main focal point. <laughs> he's on the, the part focal. of it the is whole a ride. great yeah. ride. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, it, yeah, is yeah. Tight. it is yeah. tight. I actually went on it recently. It's pretty amazing. But he's the main guy at the beginning, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But tell me you didn't say fuck yeah when you saw Rocket on War Machine Soldier for this new trailer for the second Infinity War. Like for the Oh for the, sure. Yeah. No, Rocket I, I think so Rocket's a badass that. character in his own right. But if you're talking about It's like, really Bradley Cooper. Yeah, it's Bradley Cooper. I, 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 I can't see, see it. I wanna yeah. see him voicing it. I need you can watch not Bradley Cooper. No, no, you can watch behind the scenes and yeah, Bradley Cooper is doing the voice. I need to see it. It's a it's a different voice. It is Bradley Cooper. No, I understand what it is. I'm just saying it's a different voice. Like he's that good like, same with group like yeah vin diesel vin, vin diesel, diesel I mean, that, insane. Like. i also read that like they gave vin diesel like hundreds of 
I thought he uh, did it in why he would say different why languages. he would say like I am Groot. Yeah, like he did and, that in part one. He did yeah. it in like a like different languages. Yeah. yeah. No, no, not languages. Just like different reasons. So the inflections were different. Inflections, Greg. So that you know, I am Groot versus I am Groot. Yeah. I don't know. Like the inflections would be different, and then they use whatever was reasonable. And he did it on stilts sometimes. So I say thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Trivia master. Fun fact. <laughs> yeah, Vin Diesel, he did it on stilts. He said the word. Wow. That segment was brought to you by FFJ, Fun Fact Jason. <laughs> uh, so a few quick facts about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. So a lot of people speculated because of Stanley's cameos in a lot of the movies that he was in fact a watcher. Which yes. kind of, yeah. yeah so you yeah. finally have the scene with him in this movie where he's talking to the Watcher about his exploits in the MCU and other universes, talking about how he was a FedEx guy. Yeah. yeah. James Gunn said, "Oh snap!" He kind of realized like he messed up because Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two takes place three to four months after Guardians One, which means it takes place before Civil War. So there's no way in hell Stanley could have oh. been the FedEx guy. Did you like his cameo in this one? Yeah, I thought it was cool. Really? I, I liked it because I knew the fan speculation that okay. he might have been a watcher. Right. Yeah. But um, just so you know, there were multiple shoots of that. And really? one, of the, one of the lines of dialogue included references to Deadpool and the X-Men universe. Because he also has cameos in there. One of his original uh, references as far as being a cameo character was Deadpool, the strip club scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so that would have made it so that people, or at least one entity in the Marvel Universe, was aware of alternate universes like the X Men universe. Right. Mm, that yeah, would, that would have been pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, but it ended up being the FedEx cameo. <laughs> yeah, not to be conf- not to be confused with the UPS or the. Uh, I was gonna say I am lost now. I don't know what the fuck. Yeah. Did you guys notice the arrow? <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. You know the delivery of that line was pretty off. I hate you. Here we go. Here no. We go. Um, at one point, David Bowie was supposed to be in this movie. I guess James Gunn said that um, after David Bowie's death that they initially had plans to have David Bowie be one of the cast members in this movie. Uh, I'm not particularly sure which role, but I think it might have been with Sylvester Stallone's crew of Guardians uh, of the Galaxy. Oh, okay. So I think that might have been it. Um, oh, he was gunning for that? Uh, <laughs> and we are on a roll. And then um, the original tape decks and the Sony Walkman gear actually got lost from the first movie. So they had to create all that shit from scratch. I so read that they like were searching for actual like real life Sony Walkmans and stuff. They couldn't find anything that worked. They even reached out to Sony and Sony's like, we don't have any of that. Yeah, so like, they had to create it all from scratch, which is insane to me. Yeah, they went out and they found that... Uh, couple of the stuff cost like $1,800 and they just said, fuck a that. A Walkman we'll, costs yeah. $1,800. Yeah. And they said, fuck that, we'll make it ourselves. But I'm like, your Marvel Studios just pay, the, is pay the $1,800. Yeah. Also like to have something that just gets crushed in the end. Yeah, I, I get it. Yeah. My my favorite is that they end with a Zune. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's so great. Yes. Yeah, shout out to Tim Hill with the Zune, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> So before we get to the next movie, we got to talk about how James Gunn was fired from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Who's fired? Yeah. What got, the fuck? Yeah, fired and then so rehired. He got let go. Yeah. So he was fired because of some offensive tweets that resurfaced from about 2008 through 2009. And those tweets included jokes about pedophilia and uh, rape. Rape, yeah. So Disney chairman Alan Horn released a statement saying, quote, 
The offensive attitudes and statements discovered on James' Twitter feed are indefensible and inconsistent with our studio's values, and we've severed our business relationship with him. So he got fired, and James Gunn actually issued a response to his older tweet saying, Many people who have followed my career know when I started, I viewed myself as a provocateur, making movies and telling jokes that are outrageous and taboo. As I've discussed publicly many times, as I've developed as a person, so has my work and my humor. It's not to say I'm better, but I am very, very different than I was a few years ago. Today, I try to root my work in love and connection and lessen anger. My days saying something just because it's shocking and trying to get a reaction are over. Gunn also released another statement saying, My words of nearly a decade ago were, at the time, totally failed and unfortunate efforts to be provocative. I've regretted them for many years since, not just because they were stupid, not at all funny, wildly insensitive, and certainly not provocative like I had hoped, but also because they don't reflect the person I am today or have been for some time. Regardless of how much time has passed, I understand and accept the business decisions taken today. Even these many years later, I take full responsibility for the way I conducted myself then. All I can do now, beyond offering my sincere and heartfelt regret, is to be the best human being I can be. Accepting, understanding, committed to equality, and far more thoughtful about my public statements and my obligations to our public discourse. To everyone inside my industry and beyond, I again offer my deepest apologies, love to all. So the cast and crew definitely stood behind James Gunn, and so did a lot of people, uh, with Dave Bautista being the most vocal, even threatening to leave Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 if James Gunn wasn't reinstated, or at least his script was used for the film. In the meantime, James Gunn actually got hired by DC to direct the sequel to Suicide Squad, with Dave Bautista even publicly asking for a role in that movie. In March 2019, you know, last month, James Gunn actually got his job back. Uh, Word on the street is that Kevin Feige actually fought for James Gunn to get his job back, which resulted in, I guess, the Marvel board of directors or Disney board of directors deciding that James Gunn should have his job. Uh, Many directors didn't want the job because of maybe their respect for him as a filmmaker with Taika Waititi even saying like, I would never touch a Guardians film because that's James's work. That's like the coolest thing I've ever heard. Yeah, so a lot of people said that's so badass, dude. Yeah. Especially with James coming in very apologetic, very we've yeah, all been young and stupid. I like, feel like everything egos are just, all yeah. on this put aside and like, hey, here's what's right. You know, I think that's so cool on both sides. Yeah, it's just really annoying when people just dig tweets from like ten years ago. It's like, okay. If you dig a status update on Facebook that I said 10 years ago, you probably hold me accountable for like the, Dude, the I dumb to, shit I said. I have to delete my status updates on Facebook every day. That's my like my morning routine because I've said some stupid shit. From yeah, you have. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jesus. You still do, bro. Yeah. So. Do, do you think this affects sales at all of like Guardians 3? Like, do you think people are holding on to no, these? No, I think, I I think, people, I think people want to see it even more now. Because people buzz, are right? people are so loyal to this guy because of what he created with those two movies. I think when Guardians Three comes out, it's gonna make way more money because people are gonna be so happy that he's back. But that's my opinion. Yeah, yeah. just the uptight people that just hold him accountable for tweets or shit from ten years ago. That's just ridiculous. To well, me. that's the thing too. It's yeah. just like his tweets were dug up. Like yeah, people didn't exactly. just see them. People will actually dug and looked for shit to say about it's it. Exactly yeah. the same thing with Kevin also, Hart and all that. Also, the first time that like some because this has happened a lot, obviously, yeah, uh, in recent months or recent years. But I think uh, it's interesting that this is the first time that any like studio or any company has like reversed their decision. Like they had made a decision and then they changed their mind. 
based yeah. on whatever. And but yeah, that's the part that feels unique about this. It's such a big company to go back on what they said because it's always been finite in the past when you've right. seen these sort of decisions. But yeah, that definitely feels the sort of unique about this. But for the best, and I think that's kind of where my question stemmed from because, like, kind of random fact, like Gilbert Gottfried was the voice of the Affleck duck, and then on Twitter he went and said a joke when the tsunamis happened. I think it was in Thailand. And right, right then, Affleck dropped him. And it was like, no, no, we're done now. Yeah. And it's just interesting to see like them switch their, their positions now on this. I just didn't know, I don't know if people I are going to hold these. I think the difference is that like, that joke was recent versus a 10-year-old joke. Here's hmm, the this, thing. this is older than that. This is like They dropped him when he made the joke. Yeah. Disney dropped Gun based on a joke from 10 years ago. I guess you're right. I, yeah. I guess. I guess. But, like, yeah. Here, here's the thing. I mean, this is this is with social media, right? Like, you, everyone has to be careful of what they say. Mm-hmm. Everything is on record. Everything can be pulled up. And I but think. But I think that's that's the problem. Like, we should be allowed to say not not to the extent of like rape jokes and stuff like that, or you know anything like offensive. But like, we shouldn't have to worry about that. But you know, people. Nazis. I also think like companies are obligated to react to these kinds of things. They're in a position where they're no longer allowed to just do business. Companies have to have a stake in what's going on in the world. And I think this is a perfect example of a company doing what they thought was right at the beginning because of maybe a a large minority. I don't know, like a vocal minority uh, speaking through something that happened 10 years ago. I just think it calls to question what things we pay attention to and what we don't, and what things we're willing to overlook and what we're not. Well, the thing with that is, like, yes, I, I, I totally agree with you, TJ. Um, I mean, social accountability for stuff we say now or even in the past is kind of, it's, it's looked at, you know, with a fine magnifying glass these yeah. days. Uh, and so is outrage. Social outrage from, you know, what we say now or, you know, what we said 10 years ago is also kind of a big thing. It's kind of almost like, oh, you have to be outraged at everything that you've said that might be controversial. So, but also the internet moves fast. So we're outraged, Quick, yeah. we're outraged one moment and then next week we're outraged about something completely different. We forgot what happened last month. Yeah, I think so what makes this so forgivable is the sort of grace factor of Gunn himself denounced his own statements, you know, right. he, like, this is something that is forgivable because how many of us have said something stupid, especially when we were younger, right. you know, and I'm hearing gun statements for the first time when Curran just recanted and it's just like, yeah, no, it totally makes sense. It sounds genuine. It sounds 100%. Definitely. Like as an artist, especially like I can understand trying to be macabre for the sake of shock laughter, but then later realizing that, no, that was just ignorance. Like, you know, yeah. everything, everything about this sort of narrative if you will seems to make sense it yeah. seems it's believable i can i can grace him i can forgive him for whatever and i think that's, and I'm that's glad that he was hired difference. back I yeah it's yeah, like the coolest yeah. thing in the world yeah. no know? and i yeah. love that people vouch for him like yeah. people people didn't want to touch his project yeah. at all because they respected him that yeah. much yeah and, and it delayed the i think guardians 3 volume 3 was supposed to yeah, come out, supposed either to be out this already. year or next year and guardians 3 was supposed to come out 2020 i believe yeah so and now it's delayed indefinitely so. Yeah, so <laughs> Guardians uh, Guardians Three is gonna begin production again in 2021 after James Gunn is done fulfilling his job with Suicide Squad sequel. Right. So after that is done, that's really happening. Yeah, that's yeah. really happening. Shit. Well, Fuck. we'll see how it goes. Hey, it's a Gunn Suicide Squad though. It might James be good. Gunn. Yeah. 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 Who knows? Like, who knows? He's shooting to. There do we go. <laughs> 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 I gotta, I gotta get my pencil. I dropped it. The bling is on the board, baby. It's a close race. You guys want an update? Dom is in two. The bling's in one with that fun fact we just got. And Mugga's got one. And uh, Kerwin's got two. 
Probably right. a three. That's all I got. That's debatable. Do we want to fight about this? I got nothing for that infinity water. Yeah, I'm going to give you one. I'm going to give you one, Justin. I'm going to give you one. calling our attention to that. I should give you six. Can I get one for that one? Justin, I'm going to give you one and give me one, so we're all tied. It's a four-way tie, too. Okay, Jason and I got to step it up. And snap, just like that, I'm behind him. So wait, so you're telling the competition that they should eat your dust? Okay. okay, we are overloaded right now. Kerwin is now on the lead. Jason on the board. TJ, you got anything for us? Nah, anything? Hey, TJ doesn't have the stones to compete with. Uh, <laughs> Kerwin's running away with it. He's all right, all right, away. let's let's. I'm gonna pull my gloves for this. <laughs> wait, don't you yeah, mean, wait? One. Don't you mean the gloves are off? Yeah, <laughs> the gloves are off. There we go. I can't keep up. I can't keep up. So our next movie in Phase Three is Spider-Man: Homecoming. Uh, released July 7th, 2017, and directed by John Watts. It stars Tom Holland, Michael Keaton, John Favreau, Zendaya, Donald Glover, Tyne Daly, Marissa Tomei, and Robert Downey Jr. 92% of critics liked it on Rotten Tomatoes, giving it an average score of 7.63 out of 10. 88% of the audience liked it, giving it a 4.2 out of 5. Its budget was $175 million. It made $117 million its opening weekend. Its domestic gross in the U.S. was $334 million, and its worldwide gross was $880 million. Thoughts on Spider-Man Homecoming? I have not seen it. Um, <laughs> Michael Keaton's in this? Yes, he's, what is, what's wow. his name? Vulture? Birdman. I was like, Birdman? He's, <laughs> I'm Batman. All right, I'm just going to I just want to know that. I'm going to like sit back I'm and Batman. listen to you guys talk about yeah, it because yeah, I'm out. So, so with this film, I mean, you could argue like we're getting another Spider-Man film. I think with this movie, this is going to be now our sixth iteration of a Spider-Man film in the last 20 years because we had the first three Sam Raimi Spider-Man films with Tobey Maguire and then we had the two amazing Spider-Man films with Andrew Garfield so now we're getting the sixth version of Spider-Man with Tom Holland so you could argue and I think it was the same way too I didn't see this film right away because I felt like there was already Spider-Man fatigue and like I'm glad they did introduce him in Civil War but at the same token it's like we've already seen Spider-Man five other times what else different could they do that's my thoughts on it before i actually went to see it what i appreciate about homecoming is that you know in all of the other spider-mans i don't think we've ever seen iron man i appreciated sort of that crossover of like the reason that he's so technologically advanced and stuff like that like i appreciated that i also appreciated that like in civil war we saw a glimpse of him but we didn't we never dove into like how Spider-Man became Spider-Man in the MCU mm-hmm. uh, versus the other films where we kind of talked about the origin. Mm-hmm. So I, I did think it was a little different. Yes, you're right. It was Spider-Man. Like, how different can you do it? Mm-hmm. But I felt like it was... It still felt fresh to me. Well, there was a diff- it was a different take because now you can see, like, hey, he's. I think he did the best version of him being a kid. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like, definitely he appreciated for sure they cast as someone yeah. younger. Yeah. 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 I, I like how we get introduced to, to Spider-Man in Civil War. His costume was like, right. Know, it was a Halloween costume essentially that he made. And Until then in this Stark film, yeah. he, he gets his suit from it's Stark technology. That, that's why he has all these cool, you know, gizmos and gadgets because it's made by Tony Stark. The relationship between Stark and Spider-Man is it that like where you just latch on to it? I mean, it's it's kind of is sad. That, and is that with the comic? Because I I watched no. Infinity War and you realize, hey, I, I I don't know. I'm just wondering, Kerwin, you you want to talk? There you yeah. go. One of the things that this movie does pull from is from uh, Civil War. Tony and Peter definitely have a kind of partnership or mentor-mentee relationship in Civil War. 
where Spider-Man becomes the face of the Superhero Registration Act, and Tony essentially provides him with the Iron Spider suit that we see in Avengers Infinity right. War. And he kind of becomes like a mentor to the guy. They're both scientists. They're both nerds, etc. Except Peter Parker's down on his luck, etc. And Tony Stark is like a worldwide celebrity, etc. And I think like this film kind of plays on that, where Peter Parker very much looks up to Tony Stark. But one of the things that I love about this film is that it makes sure that Peter Parker is able to prove himself without the approval of Tony Stark. Yeah. Because that was one of my big gripes with uh, the movie coming up featuring Iron Man as well as Civil War was like, I don't want Tony Stark to be responsible for all of Peter's technological advancements with his suit because Peter Parker is a scientist in his own right and a chemist in his own right. He created his web fluid. He made his own spider suit. He made his own uh, web gauntlets, etc. stick to the web for this movie, which was nice. Yeah, yeah so I like the fact that Tony is not responsible for all of that stuff. I do like that they have a mentor-mentee relationship, but Peter Parker is very much capable on his own. And that's what this movie does? Yeah, yeah. I think... Okay. Yeah. I haven't seen it. I'm I just, do I'm think that it sort of plays on that mentorship, though. I, I think, especially coming after Civil War, again, not really getting into the origins of Spider-Man, just kind of understanding that he is Spider-Man. Um, I think this movie did a really great job of expanding upon that mentorship, but also making sure that Spider-Man grew up on his own with the the boat ferry or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, Tony is like, give me the suit. Like, we're done. Like, you're not doing this anymore. I, I can't trust you anymore. And Spider-Man goes off to do great things by himself without Tony Stark. It kind of sets him up as a hero on his own on his own right. What this film, I think, does differently, too, is that, you know, in the other Spider-Man films, he's, he's taking on worldwide threats. In yeah. this film, Tony says, hey... I want you to be the neighborhood friendly Spider-Man. Take on these kind of lower level threats. Like crime, yeah. Yeah, let let the Avengers deal with like the bigger villains, you know. He says, "Hey, you you're just a kid." Yeah, go after like uh robbers and yeah, like low level like, low level, yeah. level crimes, yeah. Now, the reason why I think they sort of uh, went so big on the Tony Stark and Peter Parker mentor relationship is I think personally that they were done with the whole uncle ben thing where he never really got Mm. mentioned in this whole spider-man at all you're right and it it works because it got mentioned so hard in the last two movies and everyone knows the story everyone knows the famous line great power great responsibility which i feel is another reason why this tony stark as his sort of patriarchal figure to peter worked in this dynamic um, which especially got revealed and his sort of apology to Tony and his disappearing scene later in the Infinity Wars. But yeah, I felt like that was a move away from the, again, another revamp of the Uncle Ben. And I did feel like that worked as, again, as a huge Spider-Man fan, Spider-Man's always been my number one as my favorite. And I still feel, I very much enjoyed this movie. I thought it was a fresh take. Um, the only thing I thought was weird in it was the sort of, um, I guess, the AI intelligence talking to Karen, if you will. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's the only element that felt sort of foreign to me. Everything else I could kind of go with. I could go with Stark making a super suit, especially it made sense for the eyes showing right. uh, emotion. showing emotion throughout the film, um, as it did in the comics. That was a good reconciliation. Um, and again, I, I don't hate it. Don't I, I very thoroughly enjoyed this movie. But again, the AI was the only thing that felt sort of foreign to me uh, in yeah. the Spider-Man Maybe universe. Maybe a little premature. Right. Also, where where the hell is the AI in Infinity War? Right. Also, the AI is played by uh, is voiced by Jennifer Connelly, who played Betsy Ross in uh, oh, the first really? Hulk. Oh, really? I didn't film. know that. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and uh, Ang Lee's Hulk. Yeah, yeah, she's uh, she's the voice of the AI character. Shout out to the Rocketeer. And she's also married to Paul Bettany. Yes, Jarvis. So, is yes. she the Rocketeer? 
I love The Rocketeer. I said shout out to The Rocketeer. I love I love that fucking movie. It's I so fucking great. love The Rocketeer. Wait, wait, so when we review that... <laughs> now, is The Rocketeer Are you gonna be on that in panel? Marvel I would Universe? I love no, to be on that not. panel. Not. Oh, I know it's not. I'm just... I don't know why I asked Have you that. seen Alex Ross art for The Rocketeer for the comics? It's so good. Alex dude. Ross is amazing, by the way. But we'll, love The Rocketeer. We'll talk about artists. Yes, yes. We'll talk about artists another time. One of the things I enjoy, though... I love that this film uh, makes it a point to show that Peter is completely capable without Tony Stark Mm -hmm. because I felt like what Tony Stark did in Civil War was entirely selfish. You have this uh, Superhuman Registration Act with the Sokovia Accords and he chooses to bring a minor into this battle in Germany knowing damn well that this kid could get killed. So when Peter Parker is obsessed with becoming an Avenger in this film. Don't you kind of feel for him? Like, this adult brought me into this world and now he's trying to shut me out the entire film? That's that's what I I really appreciate about the film is, like, as a teenager, you are like, okay, what next, what next, what next? Like, I'm not interested in anything that's happening at school. I'm interested in everything that's going to happen afterwards. And I thought the film, like, really captured that sort of, like, perspective of you know, I'm bored here. This is not for me, you know, in chemistry class and all of these classes where it's like, what am I doing here? Nothing. And well, even so when he's it felt like, like it was the a, bad guys. He's like, oh, okay, what's the, like the petty bad guys. Happy, he's like, yeah. okay, what else? Like Tony, give me something more to do. So I felt like it was a good like progression from civil war into this film because it picks up right after obviously. And it kind of shows like that sort of teenage angst that you would expect a, a teenager to have. And Tom Holland does it well. Yeah, one of the things I have a big problem with, though, is um, the whole boat scene where Peter goes to stop, Mm -hmm. um, I think, Scorpion from making a deal with uh, Adrian Toomes' people. Right. Tony Stark comes out of nowhere and he's just like, oh, like, you're not ready for this. You don't deserve the suit, etc. I wish at that point in the movie, Peter would have brought up his Uncle Ben story. Peter Parker is obsessed with becoming an Avenger. Rightfully so, because he's a kid. He's a teenager. You know, like, you don't call a middle schooler up to the NBA and then you send him back to middle school without him having hopes of going back to the NBA. You know what I'm saying? So my whole thing is, like, Tony Stark basically doesn't believe in him, pretty much kicks him to the curb from moment one in this movie when they're in the limo. Like, he really does kick him to the curb, kind of. I would would say, like, yeah, it seems like that, but, like, Tony's reasoning is, like, listen... I'm trying to make you better than the rest of us and you have potential and we can do that with you see it with the whole like training wheels thing with like the babysitter thing like super surveillance uh when Spider-Man says I wanted to be like you Tony even says like I wanted you to be better I feel like yes I understand that there's some hypocrisy that goes with that but I also feel like there's some sort of higher level thinking that Tony was thinking about during this yeah, I kind of agree with TJ. Just to play devil's advocate with you, Kerwin's like, okay, he saw that, you saw the video, you pulled it up, you know, 3,000 pounds. He's like, okay, this guy's as strong as Cap. Like, he can go toe-to-toe with him, so to speak, and he has, like, reflexes. So I think he had, like, an idea, a gauge of, like, his powers, like, everyone on his squad and everyone on that squad. So I think he brought him there knowing what he was up against. Yeah. And I totally agree with you guys as far as Tony wanting Peter to recognize... Um, his own power. Yeah, his own his own abilities, which is what the whole movie is about, like we said. But I think this would have been the perfect opportunity for Peter to kind of let Tony know why the hell he's Spider-Man. Right. Tony makes it a point to show up in person after the fairy battle 
like, hey, you don't deserve this suit, this and that. Peter's not doing a lot of the things he's doing because he's selfish. He's doing it because he's selfless. Yeah. And it's just like for Tony to show up and just tell him that he's selfish. Like you never told Peter that you were calling the FBI or whoever. Right. In. Yeah, no, that was right. one of my Agreed. biggest problems Agreed. with Yeah, you never, you never you told him. him. Any of that. Yeah, you didn't let him in on anything. So Peter's trying to do what's right because you chose not to, not chose to not listen to him, but like you you made it look like you didn't care what he had to say. Right. Well, especially so I with think, the whole movie, he hadn't been talking to him at all. No, exactly. And Happy's not taking his calls. Right, yeah, Happy, yeah, Happy's it, actively dodging him it, throughout that know, whole thing. Yeah, like, yeah. Happy... Of course he's going to come to the conclusion that, like, he has to save it. Yeah, Happy was unhappy. And it's just... <laughs> I hate you! And it's just like, I think this would have been the perfect time when uh, Tony comes out of the suit after the fairy battle for Peter to just kind of say like, hey, do you even know why I'm Spider-Man? Because we briefly gloss over it in Civil War. As fucked up as it may sound, like I think Peter should have kind of thrown the Uncle Ben situation in Tony's face and been like, hey, do you know why the fuck I'm Spider-Man? I'm Spider-Man because I chose to be selfish and it cost me my uncle who raised me, who was my father figure. That's why I'm Spider-Man. And I wish that would have been thrown in Tony's face because Tony with his relationship with Spider-Man from Civil War to this movie is very selfish. Like he he even says at the end of the film like I'm sorry I didn't believe you this and that and this and that but it's just like I feel like this like you don't have to show the Uncle Ben scene but it would have been nice in this movie for Peter to at least bring up the fact that his uncle died his father figure died because he chose to be selfish instead of selfless which is what he's pretty much being this entire movie. I get he's trying to impress Iron Man and whatnot, but the reason he goes to the fairies, the reason he really tries to stop the Vulture is because like, he is being the low-level hero that Tony Stark wanted him to be. Yeah. Like, hang low, don't worry about the big stuff, the Avengers will handle this stuff. But like, the shit is happening in his own neighborhood. How could he ignore but it? See, that's he sees that as his entry ticket to the event. No, no, he he it does is, he is, does right. see that, but I think the it nature of after, it really that scene where he, and that, that scene is so great where he's trapped under the rubble where he he breaks down and as a child he's kind of crying out for somebody to help him and then he, the Tony's words sort of go through his head again. I feel like that's the big turning part. That's when he accepts that I'm this is who I am. I feel like Vulture's little speech to him before he buries him about, you know, Tony Stark doesn't care about little guys like us. He cares about the big guy. I feel like all of that is his turning point in the movie. But I feel like I feel like my biggest problem with this movie is that Spider-Man is a kind of character. And if you read the comics, and I know you do, right. but it's just like Spider-Man is actually one of the characters that a lot of people in the Marvel Universe look up to. Like even Captain America looks up to Spider-Man. And, that, and that's why I like, I could have really, I enjoyed the ending of that scene. It was his coming to terms with that mentality, I felt. Like that was his reconciliation of being, like his turning down the iron, the sort of iron spider suit at the end of the first one. It just all felt good. It felt natural. It felt like him, it, that felt like him, by the end of the movie, he was being the Spider-Man that we know. Because he's always sort of done his own thing. He's always sort of operated on his lower level. Yeah, so I, I don't like the fact that I understand like the teenage mentality of wanting to impress Iron Man, but I don't like the fact that his whole arc is kind of revolves around him being an Avenger because Spider-Man has never needed that. No, I, I get that. Like 100%, I get that. And the other two movies, to their credit, sort of had better intros in that universe and more organic of OG Spider-Man intros. But I did feel like that was a good way to pull him into this universe to through the already established Avengers 
if you sort of look at it as you know a rewrite and OVA, a one-off, whatever sort of thing, because of course the comics always do multiple iterations of the same characters, intros, or whatever, bringing them into the fold. That's how I kind of give it the grace, if you will, of bringing it into that universe. I did feel like it felt organic that way. But yes, to your point, if we're going very natural OG Spider-Man, the other stories did do that better. The other movies did that better of making it purely Spider-Man, being Spider-Man on his own through the Uncle Ben scenario. I think this movie would have been better served if that might have been brought up in some way or another. But we'll never know. I mean, we still got another movie coming out this year. Part of his contract is doing another Spider-Man movie after a third solo movie. But don't you feel, though, that if they went purely back to those roots again, that would, that would have made it feel even more effed out, if you will? Even more of the same reheating of what we've I, already seen two I times? I don't want it to be rehashed, but I do want it to be brought up. So because I, I think, I think you Tony's... You do feel like they could have addressed that better. No, I think they should have addressed it at all. I think they should have addressed it in some way. Right, because they completely shy away way. from that. They completely yeah, shy away from that. They shy away from it. They talk about it like in a broad sense in Civil War, but I think in this movie... Not to be a dick or anything about family members dying, but I think Peter should have just thrown it in Tony's face. He should have just said, hey, fuck you, man. Like, my uncle died because I was fucking being an asshole. That's why I'm Spider-Man. I want to make sure that this shit never happens to anybody again. So when you fucking hide shit from me, I'm going to try to save the day, whether or not you're involved or not. And I think that's the biggest problem with this movie is, like, they don't address the core essence of who Spider-Man is, which is somebody who has a much stronger dedication to solving the wrongs of this world than somebody like Iron Man. Okay. I just, I mean, for me, it is a coming of age story, right? It, and it's different from what we've seen from all of the other Spider-Man movies that have happened. And for me, like, you obviously know the comics and stuff, but like as a teenager, that's not your thought. Like your, your thought is... Like, this is Tony Stark. Like, I'm going to do whatever he says. He's Spider-Man, but he's also listening to Iron Man. So I feel like, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I don't know that a teenager would have that kind of, like, those balls to be able to be like, hey, listen, you listen to me now. I'm in charge. I'm Spider-Man for this reason. And maybe in the comics he is, but I did believe it in this film. I really enjoyed it. I agree with you totally. Like, I don't think a lot of teenagers would be assertive in the face of a authority figure. Right. You know, Spider-Man was envisioned as a teenage superhero. The whole reason he's as strong a character as he is is because he learned his lesson when he was a child. Right. Iron Man learned his lesson when he was in like his 20s, 30s. Yeah. Spider-Man learned it at a much younger age, and that's why his morals are so ingrained in his character moving forward into his adult life, his marriage, having a kid, etc. I mean, that's that's just how I see it right. kind of, yeah. The other thing is uh, when I was re-watching this film, correct me if I'm wrong, but like Spider-Man seems to be the only one who has to keep his uh, superhero identity different than his actual identity. Everyone else seems to be very apparent in, in this universe with who they are and what they do, but Spider-Man has to keep it a secret the whole time. I love that because finally we get a character that has a secret identity. Because in the Avengers... Since Iron Man, everybody right. has been public. Yeah. You know, I never even fully realized that, but yeah, they all. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right off the bat. Like, it just I mean, seems I weird. I realized that without realizing yeah, it. Yeah, it's yeah, also no, like an right. additional stress on a teenager who is not as old as all of the other Wait, Avengers. Black, who Black Panther isn't public, though. He's public. Not, he's no, public within the context of Wakanda. Yeah. Yeah. He's not to the. He's not universally. Yeah. To the world, he's not public. I just thought it was an additional layer of him being Spider Man. Which again is very true to the comics. So yeah, like no, yeah, you're right. That works very well. 
It also makes an interesting dynamic of extra pressure on the youngest member of the Avengers. Right, yeah. So before we move on to the next movie, I'm just going to talk about the Marvel deal with Sony a little bit. So in 2014, I think uh, November or October, Sony got hacked and a ton of emails got leaked, some of which included a new series of Spider-Man films after the lukewarm response to The Amazing Spider-Man 2. The deal was eventually confirmed with the reveal that Spider-Man would appear in Civil War, which we just talked about. Marvel originally wanted to buy the rights to the character from Sony completely, but settled on a partnership deal. Sony would receive all the box office earnings from the solo Spider-Man films, and Marvel would receive all the box office earnings from any MCU films that Spider-Man would appear in. Marvel would produce the films, serving as the creative lead, with Sony making final decisions with the character as well as financing and distribution as far as the solo films were concerned. Uh, Marvel currently has zero involvement with Sony-produced films that feature Spider-Man characters, but not Spider-Man, like Venom, Black Cat and Silver Sable, Into the Spider-Verse, or Morbius. And these movies are not in the MCU continuity. Marvel still does own the merchandising rights to the Spider-Man character. The contract dictates that Spider-Man will appear in three MCU movies as well as three solo movies. Uh, Both studios can end the deal at any time. And now that we're coming up to kind of closing the deal, we got two Spider-Man movies already. We got Far From Home, Homecoming, and then we've had Civil War, Infinity War, and Endgame, which are the three MCU movies that uh, Spider-Man is in. The deal's pretty much over with one more Spider-Man film remaining. With one movie left in the deal, producer Amy Pascal kind of hopes to extend the deal into the future based on the response and success of Spider-Man's latest incarnation. In a movie web article, when asked about the potential end to the Sony Marvel deal, Pascal says, I think about crying. I can only hope for a future where things work out. I've known Kevin since he was Avi Arad's very, very quiet assistant who for many years sat in that room listening to us, being so much smarter than any of us without any of us realizing it. I will say that working with Marvel has been one of the highlights of my professional career. So she hopes to extend this Marvel Sony deal longer. I don't know how you guys feel. I don't about know that. why you wouldn't, right? I mean, yeah. like, they are very successful. I think uh, as many times as Spider Man has been done, obviously there's still room for profit. And I think uh, Marvel has, has proven that they do great things with these characters. So I don't know why, why Marvel or Sony wouldn't want to continue this partnership because it seems to be doing. Pretty well for them, I would say. I feel like Spider-Man too. Just there's so many villains. There's so many ways you could go with it. I just I don't know. I remember the cartoon a lot, like with Morbius and Blade, and so many different avenues they could take with. I just feel like they could do so much with Spider-Man that they haven't even. I mean, I feel like with the original trilogy, like especially with the third movie. I mean, how god awful it was. Like they just <laughs> they shot Zero their dollars. load too fast with like Venom and stuff like that. Yeah. And I feel like even outside of Venom and like a carnage or anything like that, that they could, there's just so many more villains that they could tap into oh, yeah. and they could just, I don't know, they could be a real, it could be one of the best, you know, franchises with, with Spider-Man than ever before. It has nothing to do with like Marvel. Jason, who'd you watch uh, Spider-Man 3 with? Did I watch that with you? I guess it was as memorable it was for me, it was for you. <laughs> Thanks, Dick. Fuck you. Sorry, I was too distracted by Tobey Maguire with the bangs in his face. So <laughs> we watched it together. We watched you, it together. Jason, were you distracted by his physique? His pale uh, <laughs> s- stick figure physique? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Bitch, you are pale. Hey, don't hate fool. <laughs> what do we got next? Thor Ragnarok. 
Yes. Yeah, this this is awesome one. Yeah, Thor Ragnarok was released November 3rd, 2017, and directed by Taika Waititi. It stars Chris Hemsworth, Tom Hiddleston, Kate Blanchett, Idris Elba, Jeff Goldblum, Tessa Thompson, Carl Urban, Mark Ruffalo, and Anthony Hopkins. Uh, 92% of critics liked it out of Rotten Tomatoes, giving it an average score of 7.52 out of 10. 87% 87% of the audience liked it, giving it an average score of 4.2 out of 5. The budget was $180 million. It made $122 million its opening weekend. Its domestic gross in the U.S. was $315 million, and its worldwide gross was $846 million. Thoughts on Thor 3? Hilarious, amazing, great. Best Thor. Best Thor movie. Solid, yes. It was so good. Especially coming after... uh, The comedy comedy in it is great. So so here's the thing. Like, I watched it after it was already out in theaters. This is the first time that I realized maybe Marvel films are comedies. Like, like, you know what I mean? Like, it was hilarious. From the beginning, uh, they kind of set you up for this uh, sort of funny and comedic timing like they sort of set you up for it right and I think uh, especially coming after Dark World which as we talked about in phase two was a little bit questionable it wasn't questionable it sucked okay let's, okay, just, let's, okay, let's just stop beating around fine. the bush it, fine it was it was not great <laughs> um, but I think this film really got it right and again I think the timing the comedy the story I think it all worked really well together after this movie I started to realize the comedy in all of the other movies because it is in there, you know, in all of the other Marvel films, there's a, sort of a hint of comedy. Um, this was the first time that I, like, paid attention to it and saw it and then started paying attention to it in other films. So I thought it was really great. So I think with this film, yeah, you, we get a different type of Thor because, you know, Thor and the other... And that's more the Thor he's been in the Avengers type of movies yes. as opposed yes. to his own movies. Yeah, yeah, in his own movies, I think he's just taken way too serious. And this one here, it's more like... Throughout the film, he's got almost like a sidekick every single time, and it's kind of like a the whole movie. It's almost like a sidekick type film, like you know, they get like a Rush Hour, or like you know, Beverly Hills Cop, where it's like it's almost comedic because you know Thor's his interactions with Loki, and then he has to deal with you know with Valkyrie, and then I mean, just him and him and Hulk. That, that, that was that, a, that yeah, was, that's yeah, the best I, comedy I mean, ever. Yeah. I mean, it's it wasn't a Hulk film, but I mean, if we finally have a team where it's like they're teaming up, and it's just like. Thor and Hulk, I think, made the movie. That was once once they got both on screen. It's like, dude, this is amazing. It was great because Thor did some like sort of YouTube videos, if you will, uh, back in between, like after the first Avengers and stuff like that. And that sort of felt like the character we saw in this movie, which was great. Uh, a lot of fun. Um, even to the director, dude, just big props. I'm such a sucker for like such a solidly delivered line of dialogue, or just a scene that's just executed so well visually. So many amazing visuals in this one. Uh, when the Valkyrie is walking away from the ship and the fireworks are going off in the background, and her sort of cape is sort of flying in the right. wind, and she's walking like a badass is great. Uh, when she uh, drops that big gun and sort of levels them when she rescues Thor, if she will. It's almost sort of phallic, but almost as if she's establishing herself as a badass to these guys. When his sister catches his hammer, like just so many shots in this. Are just beautifully great, yeah. executed. Uh, the intro, my God, with the Led Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, can we agree that yes. the, the soundtrack oh, was amazing? Yes. It, like, the soundtrack was just great. Just pissed yeah. Jason Totally yeah. stole what I was going to say, man. Totally stole what I was going to say. Yeah, I played, I don't know if any of you guys nerded out like me, I played World of Warcraft in the background, but it just totally felt like, it just totally lined with everything video game. It just hit all of my buttons of badassery. I'm just like, oh my God, yes. Like, Big ups to the director, dude. Everything artistically was just beautiful in this. Just so many good money shots, so many executed scenes. It was just amazing. Everything yeah. was great about this. Right. 
I, I totally agree. I think from the get go, like we get comedy again. He stole my Led Zeppelin line. I was like, Apologies. man, fucking Justin. <laughs> I was keeping. It, I was like, all right, I'm gonna bust this Led Zeppelin thing up. But um, no, we we kind of start off with that. I think yeah, the interaction between Thor and Hulk is amazing. The opening fight scene is awesome. I, I also appreciate that we get like a really big female villain too. Yes. Right. So um, that's like one of the finally. First, yeah, yeah. We, yeah yes. It's like one of the first times we get a big female villain. Again, this is like night and day between the first two Thors and this one. It's just like, it feels more like, it has like a Guardians kind of Ant-Man kind of, just really like happy, fun, like funny kind of feel. And like, I I think that's, I I loved the music. I loved all the visuals, Jeff Goldblum, like everything. And I I, I really like this one a lot. It's probably my favorite Thor, of course. Yeah. And the thing too is like uh, Taika Waititi got this job because of his kind of real of what he planned to do with the film. So what he did was like, he took a bunch of movies like uh, big trouble in little China and he took clips from a bunch of those movies and he scored them to Led Zeppelin's immigrant song. That's how kind of Kevin Feige and everybody at Marvel kind of fell in love with his pitch. You see that throughout the movie, but his whole idea was making this a fresh start for Thor. Kind of consider this a Thor one again by destroying the hammer, destroying Asgard, cutting his eye out all this other stuff yeah Yeah, getting rid of a lot of this stuff that kind of made thor like a stuffy character or whatever and it was specifically his direction that the writer should make thor the coolest character in this movie like he wanted thor to be interesting and chris hemsworth kind of had the same idea like i want to have fun like thor is always kind of the comedic character in the avengers movies and in his own movies he's this like overly super self-serious person especially in thor the dark world he felt like he felt like a lot of the fun that he had in the first Thor movie was lost in Thor The Dark World. And he wanted to kind of bring back a lot of that feeling from yeah. the first Thor movie. I know some of you guys feel differently, but personally, I didn't much care for the first two Thors. But everything that I liked about the Thor character, about Hemsworth Thor, was 100% this movie. Like, totally yeah. sold it, totally on board. It kind of feels like Thor is coming into his own. We've sort of stepped away from what we had seen in the past. We've created something new. And I think this even carries over into, you know, we'll get into it, but into Infinity War, I think into Ant-Man, I think, you know, this sort of humor kind of carries itself into other films in the MCU. I even like that Thor didn't have to be the big hero who saved the day at the end with his power, if you will. Like like you were saying, uh, Jason was saying, we finally saw the female villain, total badass, totally powerful, and really Thor on his own with his own strength didn't sort of defeat her. Like, yes, he had his big comeback scene, but, you know, he had to use the Ragnarok and everything. He had to sacrifice. He had to make a choice to defeat her, if you will, or use an outside. Like, it just, yes, everything about it clicked. Everything about it worked. Like, it was great. That end scene, too, you're talking about, I just seen it so badass with Hulk, too. Oh, right. Know. Oh, my God. That that end scene on the on the Rainbow Bridge, it's just, it's freaking badass. Dude. Did you guys like the way they made the Hulk look throughout this whole movie, or no? Yes. I, I loved it, you know? It took me a minute to get used to, but yeah, no, okay. it was great. Yeah, Used but, to, I, yeah. I get that, you know? I'm, I, but just because, like, the graphics are getting that good, like, where it looked more Ruffalo than yeah. ever to me, but yeah. I it, thought it was great. And I yeah. like I love seeing Thor in the helmet, too. Yes. 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 I like seeing Thor in the helmet. <laughs> finally. Yeah, yes. we finally saw Speaking the of helmet. the arena fight, really I really good. liked that they did the whole spinoff from, uh, you know, Loki and First Avengers getting thrown around by Hulk. To a Thor yeah. getting thrown around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah, that's how that feels. <laughs> yeah. I say my only gripe with this movie is that they killed off like basically Thor's like. Uh, oh, the Warriors. Theme. Yeah, he killed, they killed off the whole Warriors, and they didn't like bat an eye. Like they killed Shazam and Punisher. It was yeah. literally in, in one second. Yeah. The yeah, Warriors. That's the only thing dead. I was like, man, they're just gonna kill them off and not even say anything, and Thor didn't even like 
mourn, I guess. Like <laughs> to me, that's when like this this uh, movie felt real was because I was like, this bitch can do anything. Like she yeah. just kills them like nothing. She broke the hammer. Like how are we gonna get out of this? <laughs> yeah, great movie though. Yeah, really no, great movie. I loved it. Uh, I love the humor in this. My favorite part, uh, humor wise, is when. Thor is telling the story about how uh, Loki turned into a snake. He's like, ah! <laughs> he's, just like, he's just like, ugh! And then he stabbed me with a knife or whatever. I thought that was one of my, that was my, well, that was one of my favorite parts of the movie. And I picked it up because he knows I love stinks. Yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, it was you know half-brothers. <laughs> what do you say? Step-brothers? Or what you, you know, he's adopted. Adopted, <laughs> adopted yeah, yeah, yeah. brother, yeah. I thought it was really great. But even that scene with him and the Hulk, it's the first time we've seen the Hulk so sentient and those two sort of playing off each other yeah, in a comedic yeah. world. Like, that was... That was unique. That was hilarious. Uh, speaking of the Hulk, though, because of the distribution rights with Universal in Phase One, Marvel actually had a plan with telling a Hulk story over the course of three films. So we had uh, the Hulk story that kind of started with uh, Thor Ragnarok, went into Avengers: Infinity War, and is going to conclude with Avengers: Endgame. So to kind of bypass the whole Universal distribution rights, Marvel Studios is trying to tell this Hulk storyline through these three films. So Thor 3, Avengers 3, and Avengers 4. It's kind of an interesting way to take it, maybe. It just speaks to the whole mastermind plan of this whole universe, too. Which, again, is insane. Yeah, you just think about it. It's like, no, we're not going to tell the story through a Hulk movie. We're going to do it through Thor's movie, and then an Avengers movie, and then another Avengers movie, and tell this whole, like, arc. It's pretty impressive. It's just crazy, because it's hard enough to, like, come up with a great movie by itself, but to come up with a series of movies that lend itself to each other, and also, like, tie into each other and work on their own, it's just crazy. Um, Let me ask you guys. Because I think we all know when Avengers Endgame comes, Chris Evans is done, you know, Robert Downey Jr. is done. But I, I don't, I haven't really seen anything. Is Chris Hemsworth done? Or I think he kind of left it open and saying, "Hey, I'm willing to do more movies." So I was watching a video today about it that he might be done, indicating towards that, okay. leaning towards that Hemsworth might be done. Because I mean, I think they're all willing to do more movies. If uh, the I know, right. I think, I think Robert Downey Jr. I think and Chris Evans they made it very clear. But I feel like just because the first. Thor movies are a little underwhelming, and then we get Thor Ragnarok, and it's so amazing. I want to see more adventures with Taika Waititi in the director's chair, like, you know, with all the characters. Yes, that are yes it definitely. So I feel like, yeah, I feel like, the, you know, I mean, I don't know if Marvel would ever do it, but I mean, because they usually end movies in trilogies, maybe come out with a fourth Thor. We got such a good taste, I want to see more of it. I think I would love to see Chris Hemsworth continue, because he definitely wasn't satisfied with Thor 2. Neither like, were we. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see Chris Hemsworth move on because I feel like in a lot of these movies, like Thor doesn't have much to do because he's so powerful. In Avengers 1, like he does have stuff to do. He kind of sits around like everybody else. In Avengers 2, he takes a bath. Um, and then, okay. you know, Avengers, in, in Avengers uh, Infinity Endgame, War, though, he plays a pretty significant part. Yeah. In which? Infinity War. Yeah, in Infinity War, yeah. he does have his own arc, which is fine. But I feel like when compared to a lot of the other characters, like Thor almost has to be removed a lot of times. I do want to ask you this, uh, Kerwin, especially, no offense, because I know you're probably the biggest comic book buff here. But do you feel like they're underselling Thor's power level as far as comics go? Okay, yeah. You and I have had this conversation before, right. but I feel like Thor is not depicted to be as powerful as he should be. I think they have to do that, though. Oh, no, definitely. But because I'm just wondering you, if that you know, is being you, done. You ha- if everyone is the most powerful, then there's no movie. You know what I mean? Like, we can win a war in a second. I, I think the uh, buildup of each of these powers, I think it 
it happens with Thor. I think it happens with Iron Man. You know, you see his technology advance and and he gets better. Spider-Man gets better. I, I just think you have to have that happen. Otherwise, what's the point of all of it? You well, know? I think also, too, if you had Thor depicted correctly, like it would be like Thor would be this super masterful, like powerful person as opposed to all of these other people. I think like Thor's powers would be just insane, insane compared to everyone. Yeah. It would overshadow Very everyone. Insane. What do you think, Kerwin? I think what I think is that now that we have Captain Marvel in the universe and we'll get yeah. to that later. That's but a game changer. For yeah. Sure. I feel like in the movies, I think the Russos do a good job of kind of depicting how powerful Thor is because when he shows up in Wakanda in infinity war, mm-hmm. yeah, he boring. shows up and he fucks shit up. I and, love it. and Bruce Banner is like, Oh, you guys are really screwed now. And for now. Yeah. And he kills a bunch of bad guys on his own and he's like, bring me Thanos, which is one of the best parts of that movie. He like shows up, strikes so down, great, yeah. lightning kills a bunch of people. He blows up the towers by himself, all that other stuff. I love that they show how powerful he is in that moment. But I feel like in previous movies, like they really downplay how powerful he is for the sake of the story, which is fine. Sure. But I, I would hope that moving forward, like Thor really is as powerful as he should be depicted. And I, and I would hate to see that Thor, who is literally a god outmatched by somebody who has the powers of an infinity stone like scarlet witch but that that's just me personally like i would love captain marvel and thor to be as equally as powerful maybe yeah but i would really love to see captain marvel and dr strange sort of being the captain america and iron man of the next few phases um one thing i felt was that i always felt like dr strange was sort of that universe's batman and that he always had the edge no one got one over on him like Whenever things got too big for their head, they're like, oh, shit, who do we call Doctor Strange as, as the Avengers? You know what I mean? That's the only sort of thing that I felt got a little undersold. Because I know I felt Doctor Strange, again, for the same reasons that Thor's power level gets a little underwhelmed is because for the sake of the story. I could definitely see for the next few phases a Doctor Strange, Captain Marvel, like sort of leading the Avengers forward type of storyline. That would be amazing to me, yeah. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Kerwin. Uh, this episode is going on a little long, so we're going to cut it in half. Uh, be sure to check out part two of our phase three recap in our next episode. Thanks for listening to this episode of $20 Ticket. Follow us on Instagram at $20 Ticket and leave your ticket price about the movies we've reviewed. If you have any comments or suggestions, send them to $20Ticket at gmail.com. That's two zero, the numbers, $20Ticket at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts and thank you for listening.